0: You
1: gotta tell somebody. This is somebody. the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here.
2: a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable.
3: Remarkable. What? Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B two B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing, lessons from Yeti, with the VP of marketing at Loxo, Sam Keenly.
2: We're done with disposable ice chests because we found Yeti.
1: No more broken handles or busted hinges. No more crushed corners or caved-in covers.
2: Yeti coolers
1: are tough. They're
2: roto-molded like kayaks, and they are certified grizzly bear-proof. With thicker walls and a full frame gasket, Yeti coolers keep ice longer, a lot longer. Yeti Cooler.
1: Wildly stronger keeps ice longer.
3: Sam, how are you? Good. Good,
0: good. For a second, I was, I feel like we're probably teasing people. They were like, VP marketing at Yeti. Oh, it's not the VP of marketing at Yeti. So hopefully I don't disappoint people after that intro.
3: I know, but you know what's even better than having Yeti on the show is discussing them from a third party, I think. <laughs> at least that's the premise. But we're not only going to talk about Yeti, we're also going to talk about Loxo and the cool stuff that you're doing in marketing. But before we get into that, why the heck did you pick Yeti to talk about today?
0: Yeah, why did I pick Yeti? I just like the way they approach marketing and their audience as a whole. It's definitely different from what you are used to seeing, whether it's B2C, B2B, anything else. Like they're an expensive product, not gonna lie. They kind of know that too, but they've created this desire where you want to be part of like the Yeti Club. It's almost seen as not a status symbol or so, but it's like the association it says about you because you've chosen that brand. So I'm like, that's cool. Not many people have really figured out how to do that. Like you have some brands like Apple that have kind of done it. Like he's, you know, walked that line a little bit, but I think they're one of very few that have actually figured out how to make that association. And I just love like all the ways that they really do that intentionally.
3: And zooming out, tell us a little bit about your role at Loxo.
0: Yeah, my role at Loxo was the first marketing hire at Loxo. So we, to go out a second, Loxo is a company, we help recruiters, Recruiters use a lot of software, too much software at the end of the day. And so when you really think about like the jobs to be done of a recruiter, it's how do you place candidates? How do you help people hire people? But our mission is going beyond that, where we want to help recruiters not simply place candidates. But how do you help them find the best possible candidate based on that job, based on that company, based on where the company is at, based on where the individual is at? Because the realization is like most adults spend more waking time at work than anywhere else. Like That's kind of a, a slap in the face when you think about it. It's like, oh, I spend time with my family. I spend time with friends. No, it's sleeping, your job, and then everything else is kind of gathering that extra six to eight hours or so. Instead of being in a job where it's like you just go through the motions every day, how can we help connect people into the roles in the companies where they'll truly thrive, where both parties will benefit from the most of it? And that's where we've done some cool stuff with the products. I'm not going to go and give you a a Loxo demo if you want that. Talk to me separately another time. But it's really empowering recruiters to be able to make those connections because it's like we've all fallen into that trap or seen people that aren't happy in their jobs. So it's like it's such an easy thing to solve for. It's just how do you better equip the people making those relationships happen
3: with the tools to do that. And if you do want a demo, you can go to loxo.co right now and go check it out. Exactly. Meredith. Meredith. What the heck is Yeti?
2: So, Yeti is a maker of outdoor gear, like premium ice chest coolers, they have these vacuum-insulated stainless steel drinkware, and so much more.
3: That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire.
2: They're an American company, and they're based in Austin, Texas, and they were founded by these brothers, Roy and Ryden Ciders, in 2006. The brothers just really loved to like hunt and fish, but they found that they needed to get a new cooler every season because they were like breaking, there are all these little parts are all, always failing, and it, they just didn't keep ice or whatever was in them cold long enough. And so they decided to make a cooler that was super durable, effective at keeping stuff cold, and all around just like way more practical. And their dad, who is a teacher by trade, actually left his job because he decided to become an entrepreneur and he wanted to develop this sealant for fishing rods and it's called Flexcoat, and it's still around today, which I thought was super cool. So this kind of like entrepreneurship runs in the family. And one thing that I thought was interesting was like their idea for this and like the reason why they're on the market is that one, they were meeting their own needs, but they also saw this big hole in the market for a better cooler. So when they were developing a prototype, they realized they'd have to sell their coolers for like 300 plus dollars which is far above the like 30 dollar coolers you can find at walmart and obviously those break very easily
1: you make some good coolers can't break it that's yeti coolers for you
2: um so because of this they were trying to figure out like where's our audience so they went to specialty outdoor retailers and they'd go to trade shows so that was something that stuck out to me because it's like they know their audience. They know who's gonna buy and who's gonna really invest in one of these coolers.
1: I wouldn't drink as much water if I didn't spend 50 bucks on this. Wow, the person that gave it to me as a gift spent $50 on this. So it's money well spent that someone else spent.
2: So now if you look on their site, the hard coolers range in price from like 250 to like $1,500 for the big boys. And they said those store like three elk, which I thought was an interesting measurement. (laughs) And so, Though they initially started with coolers, now they do like cups and tumblers and stuff. And so that expansion was in 2014. What is kind of funny is like, the brand definitely has cachet. Like People will put a Yeti sticker on their truck or they'll wear a Yeti t-shirt even if they don't own a Yeti product. And the brand has really been called aspirational, no doubt because of the price, but also the idea that like you're able to take time off, go into the great outdoors, load up a Yeti with your fish or elk meat or drinks. But this one principal who's in this awesome-based design firm who studied Yeti said that it's really less about being sexy and more about the function and being durable. So speaking of, ice will last in a Yeti cooler for up to seven days, according to Spring Hill Outfitters. In hot conditions, obviously, that deplete, that is like less, so like maybe a day or two. Why
1: does it need to hold ice that long? Have you seen the cost of ice these days? And they're virtually indestructible. Hi, we're out here with Big Bald Mike, 500 pound pro wrestler and strong man. We're gonna see if he can destroy a Yeti, In an average cooler.
2: And of course you see these like jabronis on YouTube like running over a Yeti with their (laughs) big truck or whatever.
1: So there's only one question, can we run over it?
2: They've also been tested against grizzly bears.
1: This is one of the bear proof ones. Actually, I think all their products are bear proof. When would I encounter a bear? I don't know, maybe like when I go like maybe, maybe I would.
2: Oh, and the reason why they're indestructible is they're made in the same way that like whitewater kayaks are made out of which are obviously meant to like bash against rocks and still you know be intact. And I was looking at like what's new for Yeti and they just released these stainless steel sh- straw tumblers and I'm like, "Oh, it's just in time for Christmas." But it actually looks just like the Stanley tumblers. Sam Ian and I were talking about the other day cuz another guest wants to talk about them because they're like appearing everywhere. They've like gone viral and it's mostly like women Going to the gym, who have these Stanley Cups. And so, Yeti's obviously like competing with this product. So, they're keeping an eye on the market, staying competitive. So, Sam, you brought up like marketing for Yeti. I know they do a lot on social media, but I'm wondering if there was like a Yeti campaign or an ad that you saw that really stuck with you that they've done.
0: Yeah, they've done these, there's a couple of different ones. When I first saw it and what I really like, they call them like Yeti present series. And they're these short films. And it's not about the product at all, but it's about the end users of it. So it's like you've got the guy who, and he's got like a duck dog. And it's like a 20 minute mini movie about their relationship, how he's trained the dog. And you always kind of see like Yeti in the background. But there's things like that. There's other ones about people who are, are fly fishing and and other outdoor activities. So it's It's really cool to see the end user. And that's what you were saying earlier, like the aspirational side of it almost. It's like, this is the lifestyle that you could have. Like, you're not going to have that lifestyle if you get a Yeti, but they make you almost seem like, oh, I can go and do that stuff. And I was like, well, you could do it without it. But it's this interesting mindset that it's put you in as a result. So that's one. And then more recently, they've started doing these mini campaigns that have been really interesting. And one that I've loved is, so, you know, Google Maps, you see the cars drive around all the time, they show like the street views of like your local business shop or anything. Yeti's partnered with Google Maps where they're mapping hiking trails now. So I don't know how they're like, they're putting some type of camera I don't know if it's a GoPro or something on whether it's well known hikers or people, but they're mapping these trails now, which is a really cool idea. And again, it, it ties in with their brand and what they like to be associated with the outdoors go explore be adventurous but there's no part of it that's like the camera's not yeti that's filming it's through google maps but this association of what they're saying about like their brand will allow you to do those types of things are really interesting because it's never about them but it's always about them in a way so that's something i think no other brand really does well those always just catch mine i'm like man how could we possibly do something like that in a b2b world
2: that's so cool yeah and i feel like to bring up your first point, it's like, it's to their advantage that people who go and fish are usually in a very beautiful place. So like fishing or hunting. Right. And so it's like, of course they're capturing these images that are just breathtaking. And it's like, of course, people are going to want that. And I love that you brought up like the term lifestyle because it's appealing to this like greater vision of who you could be as a person. And so of course that's going to draw people in, but that's so cool about the hiking trails. I didn't know that
0: yeah, that's a newer one. And a complete side note, you said that they're testing the durability on Grizzlies. I want to know how you get involved with that QA process. I would love to see that. And be like, Are they just like throwing them out there or like that's marketing material in itself?
2: So when I read about it, it was like they had simulation and they also were actually testing it on like live Grizzlies. I don't know how that works and I need to read more into it. But it is real, yeah.
3: Although oh, no, they for sure did in the early days for sure because there's like videos and photos of bears with them. I don't know if it was all grizzly bears, but I interviewed someone on the marketing team from Yeti years and years ago. And I, when I bought my first Yeti, so I own I own two and I own like the, the one with wheels that is like pretty big. And then I own like a, the, a smaller one that they just came out with. That's like a hard shell. That's like literally the best cooler ever made because it's like just small enough that it could just fit in like your car and go like everywhere with you, and it kind of like is just great.
1: Yeah, this one's my utility bag. You know, I got toiletries in here, maybe a, a change of clothes. Well, I could use it as a cooler, but that's why I have this guy.
3: Anyways, so I own two. I'm very biased. I huge Yeti fan. A couple crazy things. Number one, the marketing originally for me, there was three things that happened that I saw. So I go camping in bear country like pretty often. So having it be bear safe is actually like legit for me because you have to like bear proof everything when you go camping. And so you either have to like run it up the tree or like the Yeti is bear proof and you put all your food in there and it's actually good to go. So super actually real relevant stuff. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that's really cool. The second thing were the Yeti stories where I watched a documentary that they did on tarpon fishing, which I didn't ever fish for tarpon or I didn't know anything about it. And I was just like, it struck me that there's a term that Stephen Renell from Mediator uses about like fetishizing stuff, and they like fetishize the fish, the process of fishing, all of that stuff. And then at the end of it, when you catch the fish and you need to put it in your cooler, and you're out there and it's a hundred degrees in the middle of the Florida, you know, panhandle or whatever, that is going to you know stay on ice for the entire time that you're fishing. Holds
1: ice for like two to three weeks. Yeah, not days, weeks.
3: And it's just like, this is the most brilliant storytelling because like if you're into fishing and you need like, that is the most critical need that you have, right? You do all this stuff, all this activity to get a fish. You finally catch it. You finally do all this and then you need to keep it cool. And if you don't keep it cool, then you know, you can't keep it. And it solves that. So I remember seeing that video and being like, oh my gosh, if I go fishing, you know, et cetera, that that'll work. And then the third thing, have you heard of Yeti budding? Okay. So in 2016, (laughs) so basically what would happen is it was like a status symbol to get a Yeti because they're super expensive. So all these college kids would have these Yetis and then their female counterparts would sit on the Yeti and then take a photo of them sitting on the Yeti in which you would see, you know, some of their rear end and it went freaking crazy viral. (laughs) So this was like doing insane numbers on Instagram. You got to search on safe mode, probably on your phone,
1: but it's, it's one of those (laughs)
3: moments where it's like, we always, I guarantee you that the Cider brothers, when they're like the the whole story of them traveling to like, I think it was, it was Vietnam. I can't remember where, but they're like traveling across the world to like, try to find this like industrial cooler. I I doubt that they're like, oh, you know, sorority girls are going to sit on our coolers and take photos and post it on, on Instagram someday. You know what I mean? Like that, they never thought that would happen. But they created this thing that people love so much, and it m- made this little cultural moment. And like all three of those things when I was thinking about like how different are all of these, right? Like hyper specific use cases that are so personalized and specific to the person that they tell it really well, like beautiful storytelling and visuals, and then this user generated content. And I was like, that's like the trifecta of you know b2b marketing if you could ever get that you'd be like the happiest person on earth and yeti just like designed for some of it some of it was not designed and it's courtesy to like a really innovative marketing team and how they thought about the product
0: well, maybe we'll see some b2b ebooks with girls sitting on them <laughs> in the upcoming future <laughs>
3: guys, guys with their guys with their shirt off like holding the holding the ebook sitting on their couch <laughs> Firefighter <laughs> calendars. Let's make it happen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah the, that's right. The firefighter <laughs> calendar, but, but for B2B tech. But like, it's one of those things where they didn't go shoot a firefighter calendar. You know what I mean? It's like their users decided to do that and they got millions and millions of impressions. And it's like, man, that is just, it's remarkable stuff.
0: I think one thing that's so interesting you say, it's like, you know, you've got that trifecta there, but their campaigns are so niche, like the tarpon fishing. It can fit three elk. If you think about it, like one percent of the population is actually going to use it for that purpose. Like, I need to store a bunch of fish in here. I need to use it to haul my elk. Like, ninety-nine percent of people, it's holding beer. It's holding kids' drinks.
1: It's got two walls in it. It's going to keep this thing cold all day. Foam koozie. What are you living in? Like two thousand two? Use a foam koozie. This thing's got two walls in it. Or you have
0: like the like the Yeti cup. You don't need it to be grizzly proof. You need it to be kid proof, so that it, like when they drop it, it's not going to break, and you have to get a new one. So. Yep. I think it's interesting how it's like these people want to say that like I'm outdoorsy or this and that's kind of why they get it. But the reality Mm -hmm. of like the use case is not at all like this can hold 47 juice boxes.
1: You want to come take a look at my new lunchbox?
0: It can hold three tarpon.
1: Yeah. Well, and so it's funny you say that. Like so
3: we for using our Yeti, the big one that we use, we probably use it like once or twice or three times a year. And like one of the places that we go camping is like 100 degrees. And we like literally had a friend with a crappy one and then ours and ours held ice for like five days and like 100 degree heat and we're like oh my gosh like this is the greatest thing ever
1: yeah um let's maybe just we'll we'll just use my cooler maybe yeah we'll use my cooler he wanted to use his igloo
3: (laughs) so you know we had that the real like you know off the grid use case but the best use case we had was transporting breast milk going from driving from Northern <laughs> California to Southern California when it was hundred degrees you know, heat driving through Bakersfield is like 107 degrees and putting that yeti in the back of the car. And like that was like the best use case there. And like, yeah, that's not on their website. But to your point, I mean maybe it should be on their website. But like that is the stuff of like why the utility of the product matters. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that like you're gonna, you know, keep ice longer in a Yeti, like yeah. for sure.
0: And maybe that's where they don't want to do it because then it commoditizes them with like, oh, I could just get a $30 cooler if I'm just transporting breast milk. Why do I need this like big one? But we did the same thing funny enough, like six months ago, we had our, our newborn. And so we have one of the softer, smaller Yeti It can hold like a six pack of beer in it, right? Yep. But I remember going back and forth from the hospital and I was like, this cannot spoil. This has to stay cold. Like yep. this is what I'm using because I know that it's going to work. So yeah, I think that's one other part of it where by being so specific with that, like these people use it, that they're able to keep it at that price point and keep you from going to your local grocery store to just get that little styrofoam cooler. Like, ah, it's good enough and it's $2.
3: Now there's like all the knockoff versions that are pretty comparable in terms of, a lot of them are like about half the price. And I mean, within shades of, you know, I think the efficiency. I watched a video back, a while back, where it was like, the Yeti would be like five days of ice and like the Arctic would be like four days of ice, you know, or something like that. So they're close enough now and the price point is like pretty significant, but they built a brand where like people really are brand loyal, right? Like I do own an Arctic that I bought a while ago. So like I have, you know, I, a couple other things because like I couldn't spend any more money on another Yeti, but it's like I also am pretty brand loyal to that. And like, how do you do that? Like, how do you create that brand loyalty? for something that is, you know, at this point is a commodity. It's like really hard.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a million dollar question that every company wants to solve for, right? Like, how do we create champions? How do we get repeat buyers? How do we get people to never want to leave us? And B2B, it's an experience. You know, you provide the, the customer success managers, you make sure they get the results they want. But in B2C, like, you don't have Yeti people calling you. How do you like your Yeti? Rate it from one to 10. Would you buy Yeti again? Like, they've just ingrained it. I think part of that is, The marketing side of it is just how they've done and accomplished that.
3: Yeah. I would say, obviously, like, content is so important to them. If you go to their website, if you go to yeti.com, the nav is shops, gifts, customized, and stories. And in stories, you have a bunch of stories that they've written and created, and videos, and these, like, brilliant, you know, long form video content, which is amazing. They have ambassadors and they have podcasts. And I think to your point, it's like you have to have such strong content and such strong like advertising in order to be top of mind and to get your brand across. And like you said, there's nobody who's going to pick up the phone. The closest thing that they're going to do is like maybe they're going to Google it and maybe talk to a friend who owns one, but they heavily invest in storytelling. And there's no other way that they could do it. I don't even know how else they would do it. One of the things that about the price point for me, and like I'm this type of shopper, I'm like the buy once, cry once type of a shopper. So it's made for me, but I don't know when in their marketing it was, but it's like the last cooler you're ever going to buy. And I don't even know if that was a real tagline or not, but I was like, I can spend $300 on the one that actually I'm going to have for the next 20 years. And with like some products, you're like, is this the last TV that you're ever going to buy? No, not really. So, but like your cooler, you're like, I'm going to keep this for at least 20 years. Like, I'm not going to go need another one. And every time you take it out and your stuff is still cold, you're like, I'm really happy I made that decision. And so I think that there is this longevity to the product that allows you to say it is worth the value because, you know, it's actually 17 cents every time you take it out over the course of the next 20 years and it's money well spent.
0: Absolutely. And that's like, that's exactly what some of these images, they did these dichotomy ads where B2B sometimes does this where it's like current state, you know, it's terrible. It's not a good experience. Ideal states with our product, with our service. But Yeti did this where it's like they've got the styrofoam cooler, like generations to break down. And then you see the Yeti generations to break in. So speaking to the, the durability of it, it's so simple, and so straightforward, that it makes sense. But one of my favorite was this one right here, where it's you have the red solo cup that's kind of crumpled, crunkled, and it says wasted. And then they've got a red Yeti stainless steel that says waste less. So these types of things that all speak to, like, to your point, how long they can last, but also just like the impact and, and showing this aspirational, like, oh, do you want to go get drunk as another college kid? Or like, do you want to have this larger macro impact? And they've done that with these different ads. I think they, he shared a couple of others that were different, like, to go bad. To go bag, which is like your plastic typical convenience store bag, and then go to bag, which is like one of the soft coolers that's got the shoulder sling on it. So, how they approach these is it's genius with those angles that they play into it. And so, yeah, it's just how they do these from all the different angles, and it all still comes together. Is the Yeti brand? That's so many B two B companies struggle with this. It's like you see like marketing whackable. It's like you've got all these different efforts, <laughs> but yeah, it's like. Most B2B brands, you just see random acts of marketing, but Yeti does all these different angles, but it's still cohesive in a way that just works.
3: It's so true. And it's all about quality. It speaks to quality. It speaks to like, you could just buy the product because it's going to be good. It's going to be good for the next generation. It's going to be good for a long time. And it's worth the money. And... They layer in it's better for the environment, it's better for the earth, you know, and you can sit on it and take a photo with your friends, which they don't, they don't market. But I think it just speaks to like this is a quality play. And in B2B, it's really hard to say we're better. Right. Everyone does.
0: Everyone says we're the best. We're the best software. That's like, but yeah, validated by who? I mean, that's just become go to any website and it's gonna say that on the H1. And it's because no one validates it. Like G2, eh, not really, but it's like. Everyone feels like that's the only way to build your credibility is you have to say, "Well, we're the best hiring platform, we're the best finance platform." Like every Google ad, if you go search for a product, I guarantee you it's going to say number one accounting software. Like what, Buddy the Elf? Like world's best coffee? You did it! Oh my god! <laughs> so it's like it's just it's so commonplace in B two B. And one of our team members, Lex, she called that out and she's just like, if "Everyone's world's best." If everyone's world's best, like no one is. So like, can we just stop saying it altogether. And she's like, "We're not going to say us on our website." Like I just won't do it.
3: I love that. I think it's interesting that all the ads that you said, and really every single piece of marketing that we've said today, you could take a competitor and put it there. Like, they truly... I mean, again, that's like any commodity. But like you could put an Arctic in every one of those ads, and it still fits. You could put an Arctic and say it's grizzly-proof. But the fact that they're the ones who constantly are pushing this in their advertising, those are print ads, those are outdoor ads that you, were, that you were sharing, that they were running. I'm sure they're running on digital too. But all of the use cases, all of the stuff, like all of that is the exact same for their competitive landscape, but they are the ones who are constantly pushing this. And I think that that like matters, is that they're the ones who are saying it. And they're the ones who are reminding you of that over and over and over again. And that it's worth it, you know, and that it's worth it for the long haul. Now, you could say that a Yeti lasts longer than their competitors, you know, landscape. And maybe their competitors are like, oh, a cooler that's half as heavy as a Yeti because the Yeti's like heavier. And the Yeti's like, well, that's because it lasts longer and you can pass it down to your kids. So it's just interesting that I think like a lot of their advertising speaks to a lot of this type of advertising speaks to the impact that they're making on the world and the impact that they're making with their products and like how doing these things actually, you know, makes a difference. And it just shows that they care about it. And like, in turn, like we care about it as consumers.
0: One thing, yeah. So you said you could insert any competitor into the the ads, right? But they don't. And so one thing I think why it's worked so well for Yeti is one, they created the category, not of coolers, but like this kind of up end, like the long lasting, the durable coolers. So they created the category. They're the category leaders, you think of them. And I think competitors don't even try to position themselves at that, but they just fight for that extra, like the, the last remaining 25% market share. When was the last time you saw an Arctic ad? You've never seen Arctic ads. You go to Walmart and you see the Arctic coolers. and You're just like, I wanted a Yeti, but you know I can't drop $200 on it. So I'm just going to get this one because I can afford it. So it's like they kind of float the whole category as a result. And that's why I think they play at that category level so much with their ads. It's like, yeah, it's going to be the Yeti brand.
2: I had a question, which you guys had kind of brought up brand loyalty but also with yeti coolers it's like one person might only ever buy one yeti cooler because it'll last for so long like literally they would never have to buy another one like you guys said so can a person be considered brand loyal if they only buy one and like does that change how we think about brand loyalty is that's that a, a question? great
3: question and i that's like such an amazing question because i think it Thank is <laughs> for sure that you are brand loyal because you tell your friends like, I have been asked so many times, and not even asked, I volunteer it because I'm that guy, where I'm like, oh, this is the Yeti cooler I buy, and I did buy two, But they're totally different utilities. But I tell every single person about it. And like that to me, brand loyalty is, are they going to keep spending money with you and are they going to evangelize your product? Sam, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm right on there with you where it's like, you might not be buying out the same volume, but it's the... Like that multiplier effect where one person tells three people, those three people each tell three people. And you have that because it's like, yeah, I've got this giant water jug that I've used every day for the past. I think I got this honestly at our wedding six years ago. I got it as a, a gift for all our groomsmen. I've had it. I haven't bought a new one since then. But to that point, I had nine groomsmen. I bought nine of these for them. They all like it. So they're going to get more for their house. Maybe the smaller ones or other. But you never hear like Yeti salesmen, they don't call. Like, yeah, they probably have big deals with like the warehousing. But I think because of that point, so many people do the selling for them that that's the the flip side of it where you don't need to buy a new one every year because you have these people proactively pushing it for them.
3: I've also bought Yeti for my sister's family. I'm about to buy two for two different friends. And I think that there's also that piece of it that you buy other stuff. Now they pushed out Beyond Cooler, so they have like all sorts of different stuff. And like to the brand loyalty piece is like, I'm not buying the Yeti t shirts. Per se, but maybe they're great. I don't know. I've never tried it, but like the Tumblr and the other thing, so I think that they have a suite of products enough that you could probably do that as well. You know it's funny the other day we were talking with a couple parents where our kid goes to daycare, and one of them was like, "I'm so sick of my kid's water bottles breaking and spilling everywhere, and I finally just pulled the trigger and bought him a yeti and it's been the best thing ever and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's the same problem. We have this stupid water bottle spills everywhere, so like <laughs> like it's just funny. Again, that those sort of conversations happen, And I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so
0: so true. You just laugh at that. And that's probably the smartest thing they did was branching out of just the coolers. Because it's like, well, people aren't going to come back and buy a $300 cooler, but they'll buy a bunch of the cups. Like, what are the smaller things? And you see them start to trickle down to more the consumer side with that. So I bet that spurred a lot of it, too, is just having the additional product lines. I mean,
3: will naturally lead to it. Any other final thoughts on Yeti here, Sam? Yeti marketing. Final thoughts on Yeti.
0: Polly, if you're listening, I'd love to collab with you on something. So that's my my final thought. I have a feeling he's probably not going to take me up on this one.
3: <laughs> Shout out to you. You're doing great work. We appreciate it. I, the one thing I would add to final thing is that they do this thing called Yeti rescues and they're reselling old coolers now that they're basically like refurbishing and getting them back out there. And I love stuff like that. Like I think Arcteryx says that. I think Patagonia does that. A bunch of like the outdoor brands do that because they're at a high price point. There's no way that that like probably is a net like money maker for the company, to be fully honest. But I just love that they're doing that. It allows people to get in at a little bit lower for a price point and have things not go to waste. So, anyway, shout out to them for that. All right. Sam, your marketing. How do you think about your content strategy, Loxo?
0: Content strategy. Fun question. It's kind of easy in one way, really difficult in another way. Easy way, go look at B2B content anywhere and 99% of it's the exact same like come sign up for our webinar come download our ebook come get on our email newsletter we're going to tell you how great our product or or our company is no one wants that stuff so that's like the easy part is how do you differentiate from that the hard part is actually differentiating in a way that people will care about or want to know you so we were talking about this beforehand but Forrester has a report where it showed like on average 70% of a buyer's purchasing decision is made before they ever engage with the sales team and this is in, in the b2b space so to deal like you're not catching them when they're finally searching like who's the best software for recruiters? like they need to know who Loxo is before that starts because that's where they're going and just typing in like loxo.co they're not doing that Google search. So one, how do you create that brand affinity before the sale? And that's what our content strategy really revolves around is I'm not fighting with we have plenty of competitors. HR tech is so 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 saturated, and plenty of our competitors have, seven-figure monthly budgets. I do not have a seven-figure monthly budget. That's a future problem I hope to have when we grow. Mm-hmm. But I'm at the point where it's like, okay, well, if they're going to capture all the people who are just you know late-stage shoppers, best HR software, I want to get my foot in the door so they're not even in the equation. And that's where you go after. Like, Well, it's also a lot easier to target the 98, 99% of people who aren't yet in the market, but will be soon or in the next 6, 12, 18 months once they're out of that contract. So that's what our contract strategy revolves around really is just getting ahead of that proactively.
3: I love that. That's really cool. To me, it feels like a lot of people are not focusing on the like 95% of people are not ready to buy. Obviously, you know, you spent some time at Refined Labs where I know that that's, you know, part of the stuff that y'all evangelize there. How do you think about that and kind of your time at Refine Labs?
0: Yeah, I love my time there. So anyone who hasn't heard of Refined Labs, it's a B2B marketing agency, essentially. So work with plenty of B2B companies from pre-seed to enterprise. I joined, there were less than 10 of us. So we were still trying to figure out our fit in the market. That's definitely refined over time. They're usually later stage, so like Series B up through publicly traded companies. But what that did there, so when you're in-house, you have your product, maybe products. If you have a couple different lines, you've got like one, two, Industries personas that you're serving. So you have a pretty limited view on what you can learn. What my time at Refine Labs taught me was like, it gave me so much exposure to different markets, different products, different business models, different issues that arise. And my favorite was, it really forced me to understand the difference between strategies and tactics. I think too many people think of those as the same nowadays. What's your strategy? Oh, we're on LinkedIn. I'm like, that's not strategy. That's a tactic that you use to, to go and acquire people. So... A strategy will translate for B two B companies. So I could work with five different companies if they're all similar. You know, we want to increase revenue. We're in this market. This is our revenue size. This is our ECV. We can apply a strategy, and then the tactics are going to be like, well, you you know, you go after recruiters. They're on LinkedIn. We'll push LinkedIn. You go after web developers. They're on Reddit. They're not on LinkedIn. So we'll go over to Reddit for some of those. So helping to understand the differences between those, and then the biggest, honestly, one of the bigger ones is like learning how to work with sales because again, they don't care if you get one lead, 10 lead, 100 leads their way, they need to close deals at the end of the day. That's what they are paid for. So if you want a good relationship with them and you really want to grow as a company, you need to be working together. And you could kind of get by with that in the like the late 2010s or so. Like The MQL volume is the big thing. You know, We're hitting goals there. But especially now with the economy getting as tough as it is, you cannot be wasteful. You can't be spending a stupid amount of money just to get someone's email address. You need to be figuring out, how do I get people who actually want to buy our product or service? So. That's what a lot of my time there was was really understanding, learning, and then being able to communicate that an executive level to the people that were footing a not cheap
3: retainer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point there, what are some of those like you know things that weren't working in the past? Those sort of like the older strategies.
0: Yeah. I mean, even before I was at Refine, I came across this, and that's when the the light bulb started to go off. After I heard Chris talk about it, was You have marketing on one side cheering. We just hit our quarterly MQL target by 125%. We're killing it. Yay us. And then you have the sales leader over here who's just like, yeah, we finished at 60% to our revenue goal. It's like, there's a disconnect there. If you're blowing it out on one side, that means like there's something that's not happening there. Whether the leads are falling off, they're not qualified, they're not closing for some reason. And more often than not, it was because the leads weren't really leads. Like We so conflated the the definition of what a lead is. And we just said like, oh, they download an ebook. They're ready to talk to sales. It's like, no, they just wanted to learn something or they wanted to watch this webinar. So that is probably one of the biggest things that, that we really started to see. And so it's like now you can still promote the ebooks, promote the webinars, all that, but stop calling them leads. Just give it away for free. If people want to learn, let them learn instead of charging them for that. You can go to Zoom Info, get someone's email address for five cents. Like You don't need to pay $30 for that lead and then pass over to sales. There's more efficient and effective ways to do that. So That was one of the big changes that we saw is realigning on those definitions. And that was one of the first things that really does help with that marketing sales relationship. And it's
3: just so dumb when you think back to it, right? It's the same thing as website traffic being a key metric, Mm -hmm. right? We were getting a bunch of organic traffic on CaspianStudios.com because we made this show, Murder in HR, and it's like, Going super viral and it has like millions of listeners. And so we're getting a bunch of traffic on like a certain term for that show that is like super random. I'm like, I don't care at all. I mean, I care about that traffic for ho- hopefully more people listen to the show. That's not going to like bring cast me in business of like looking who the cast is from <laughs> underneath. HR, you know what I mean? And it's like, those yeah. are the type of things where it's like, I l- just came out of a marketing meeting where we were talking about that. It was like, hey, this term is getting a ton of traffic to the website. Like, that doesn't drive our business forward. And like, we shouldn't be optimizing for that anyways whereas like accounts engaging in your content consistently and repeatedly is like crazy valuable and we already have their email address like you said for 5 cents so like we don't need to like go acquire it if we we know who that person is
0: yeah and one of the biggest problems was they made things like mqls they made things like website visits KPIs they're indicators they are not goals right. we need to stop treating them like goals and that was i think one of the biggest things is like do we hit the KPI i'm like who cares it's telling us like if we're directionally going in the right direction ironically enough but to your point well yeah you can so easily artificially you know you can get tens of thousands of visitors if you want to show up for some random phrase you can go to some content syndication website you can gamify all that to hit your goals if they become goals but then you're doing a disservice because you're refocusing all your team's energy on hitting these things that don't actually matter for your business because they want to justify their salary or their position within the company.
3: Right. And I think that from a content perspective, it puts us in a really difficult spot because we're creating things that that particular... like, Let's say we spent a bunch of time on a video about tar- tarpon and fishing, right? We were like, <laughs> well, how many people in the world go do this and like how many people you know like whatever and you kind of like paint yourself into this corner and you're like well then it's not worth doing and you're like but a the people who are looking for that use case that's super valuable so it's okay if it's you know low engagement and b it's like that can be a meaningful step for someone and like thinking through that strategically of like how am i creating the right coverage For our target market is super important. And like, it's just sort of like more and more hits and more traffic and more whatever, rather than like thinking through it as like, how are we engaging these accounts? And like, you know, our Chandar says, paint the skies Koopa blue. But it's like, how do you paint the skies for them where they always see you? Yeah.
0: And that's, What most companies struggle to solve for at the end of the day is they're focusing on those those wrong things or they're not asking those questions that they should be so yeah, then that always gets into well what should we be measuring how do we know if it's working because if we're not capturing those like the people's information i need to know who read this ebook it's like why do you really need to know right that time because it's a long game and that's my favorite thing this is probably one of my favorite questions i i was asking at refined when i talked to all these different execs because you'd be a month in and they'd be like where are the leads where's the impact like Come on, we, we turn marketing on. Why aren't we seeing the floodgates open? And I always be like, all right, stop being an exec for one second. Tell me about the last thing that you bought at your organization. How'd you go about it? Well, I talked to my buddy over at this organization. They recommended it. I heard about it in this community. I saw a Slack message. I saw someone post something on LinkedIn. I listened to a podcast at Caspian Studios. Five months later, we had a problem. And I was like, okay, let's finally pull the trigger. I'm like, oh, five months, huh? And then you started the sales process. And how long did that take? Well, about two months. Okay, so seven months before you saw change to the bottom line. So getting them to think back on, okay, it's like, okay, well, maybe it isn't that immediate impact. People don't have the the urging pain quite yet. They're in a contract, something else. So say, well, let's think about how do we understand if things are working. Well, one, for those things that are coming in, just start asking people. So a lot of people use like the marketing source attribution, like came in through direct, came through organic search, came in through paid search with this specific keyword. What I like to do... And this is another thing I pulled. So part of this came from Refine Labs. How'd you hear about us? Just ask people when they come in, put it on the forum. This is usually like the most memorable thing or sometimes recency effect comes into play where it's like, you know, the last thing I heard was a podcast with the CEO. So we'll say that. Okay, well, cool. That's another touch point for you to know, like, is our content working? Because usually that's going to be more like, I heard you on a podcast. I was talking to my friend Janice over here who's, who recommended you all. Then the third thing is partnering with sales. I always say like, spend three minutes in discovery. Just ask them about like, hey, how'd you come across us? Like, what'd your research look like? Did you talk to anyone? Get more details because we're not trying to say this one touch point deserves all the credit. It's like we want to figure out what steps should we be doing more of and what steps are we doing that aren't actually doing anything and just do more of the things that are making an impact. It's not about giving one 10% weight and one 50% weight, but just in aggregate, are we doing more? Are we showing up in the places that they want to see us or they actually are spending their time so that's a great way to understand like is your content doing its job because your content should be educating providing value entertaining them and often it's not done through an ebook or a webinar or or like some gated fashion where it's like this podcast hopefully it's going to be valuable to someone and they'll reference it at some point but the goal here isn't to get you new customers or me new customers it's to talk about yeti and some other fun marketing stuff so I'd definitely say like look into those types of things and not get so bogged down in specific data points that you lose context
3: of what you're trying to solve for. Do you find that the ROI of content is something that you really have to educate some of those marketing leaders on or, or revenue leaders? And the reason why I ask is like, you know, if you talk to some revenue leaders, they're like, "Yeah, marketing is like you know art projects," and then within that, content is like uh, that's like really the art <laughs> like projects. So, like, I'm just curious about how in those conversations, how they viewed are the ROI of content. Yeah, does the finger painting get hung up on the fringe? I know right?
0: that's the end goal, right? So, some just will never get it. They're old school. They they want their leads in, leads out, all of that. This was a big reason why I actually joined Loxo was because our CEO, Matt, believes in marketing and understands this innately. But he's the first to tell you, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm going to hire people who know how to do it and let them do their thing. So with measuring this type of thing, it's not so much how many page views did that one blog post get? How many listens, downloads did this podcast get? We look at the sum of... All of the parts and understand over time, because again, this is a long game where we started with a little snowball, we want to just roll that sucker downhill, months, quarters, years at a time and let it build momentum. And so the ROI that I look at is things like, are we seeing more people come to us organically, they're typing in loxo.co coming straight to our website, they're just Google brand searching us and coming in through those mechanisms. And then raising their hand and saying, I want to talk to sales. I want to sign up and use your free product now. And over time, if your content's doing its job and educating the market, helping them understand there's a better way to do your job, you can be more impactful, you can make more of of what you're doing. You'll get people who want to use your product or your service at the end of the day. So how I understand if my content's working, are we getting more hand raisers coming to us? When sales or BDR's prospect is the conversation changing from, wait, you're John at Loxo. What's Loxo gonna? Or, oh, you're John at Loxo. Yeah, I saw your video the other day. I heard your CEO on that podcast. Like, super helpful stuff. They know who we are, they know what we serve. Those and then pipeline and revenue. Are we generating more pipeline as a result of the people coming in? Are the deals closing faster? Are we seeing higher win rates as a result? So, all of those are lagging indicators to doing that initial upfront work of building your content engine, but you can't be so obsessed with having that engine drive results on day one on day 30 on day 60 it is a long game that you have to play and we've been playing this game for a year and a half at loxo and it's finally not finally paying off but i've been watching quarter over quarter some of our competitors are folding due to tough economic situations we're still going up into the right every quarter which is a blessing in itself and i think that's a testament to like your exercise program Just show up do the work day in and day out be consistent you're going to see the results it's nothing sexy there's no hack to it it's just Doing the fundamentals well and consistently every day.
3: I feel like obviously we both are you know drinking the same kombucha here on on the podcast stuff <laughs> and because my company makes it and you've done run this successfully multiple times. You have a show that you're doing a lot, so it's fifty plus episodes in. But I feel like. We're still not really getting into this like idea of like podcast equals pipeline. Like I'm like going to like put this as like Caspian's freaking tagline at this point, because I'm like, when you hear someone in long form content or watch a video of them. Talk about their products and services or talk about a future state or to talk about those things. The value of that engagement is so, so, so much higher. Like it is so much higher. And I feel like I've been taking crazy pills for like the last three and a half years when you like you talk to someone and they're like, Yeah, I mean, I think I get it. And you're like, But do you (laughs) you know, like, like, oh, what like what's your favorite show? They're like, I love smartless. Like, oh gosh, I would do anything for those guys. And I'm like, See like what you're saying or like I love The Real Housewives or whatever it's like ah oh, I watch it like I'm obsessed with that it's like content is just in a way this type of content is so personal it's so helpful and it's just different than any other stuff in your arsenal. If you're not doing like the short form video, if you're not doing podcasts, if you're not doing that sort of thing, I feel like you're just leaving so much money on the table. But again, I'm biased.
0: Yeah, no, it's creating relationship beforehand, because that's the other thing that so many people want. They're doing the research, and that's one of the best ways to stand out from the others. And so our CEO, Matt, was not He's, he's not a, he wasn't big on podcasts before. And I told him, like, Hey, this is going to be our content engine. We're not going to get a million downloads. Like, don't worry about that. But it's one, it's just going to feel like the things we want to talk about, what we want to share with our market. But two, you're going to see a long tail impact on this because he's still like founder led sales. So he still jumps on calls with prospects all the time. And I go, come back to me in six months. I guarantee you that you'll see a different tone in the prospects that talk to you because they're going to feel like they know you. And he's like, that's crazy. I don't believe it. I may, changed those words a little bit for the purpose of making an impact here. (laughs) But it was about a month ago, we had that conversation. He's just like, you were right about the podcast. I'm like, what part of it? And he goes that when I'm on calls with prospects now, they either flat out tell me like they feel like they already know me, they've heard the pitch, they know our story, or they feel like, you know, we've had this conversation already. And it's just, it's a much more back and forth, like casual conversation because they feel like, they already have been talking to me for months because they've been listening to the podcast and they know like what I'm going to talk about, what I'm going to ask them. And it's just, it's a different dynamic than I used to be before, where I was like, I had to pitch Loxo. I had to tell them about our product and why it was important. So he's like, it's crazy what it's done for just the, the conversational dialogue there.
3: Yeah. I feel like it's a best practice to have that CEO worldview type anchor content, like a book or the, some worldview point of view that you have, you know, famously. Frank Slootman did rise of the data cloud. And then, you know, that is their product, the data cloud, right? It's like this worldview. And then you surround that with all different types of content. And I feel like that is like an absolute winning strategy, like that having that anchor content that everything goes back to. We just recently did this with the serialized content framework to like put a little bit of like, just like my thoughts on paper that I've been working on for multiple years. And the feedback that we got for it was like off the charts because. Finally, it's like people are like, oh, that's the worldview that I share. And then all of the other content that we've been creating for years and years and years all sort of like has this foundational element to that that they can go to their bosses and be like, hey, this is what I believe the future is too. And I just feel like you can't do that in a silo without having the like the halo of all these other pieces of like micro content that you've put out over a long period of time.
0: Yeah, it sounds a lot like Yeti. (laughs) <laughs> to bring it on back. Like they've got that halo effect of what it is, and then all different parts that plug into, like, you know, the elk hunter, the Fisher, the Dog Trainer, any of those. But yeah,
3: that's so true. Sam, it has been wonderful having you on the show. Our listeners should go to loxo.co. They should check out the podcast. They should check out the resources. They should nudge their uh, their talent acquisition team, the talent intelligence platform for recruiters. Any other final thoughts on Yeti, on marketing, on Loxo? Anything to plug? There's so many different things I could get
0: into. One thing I'll say I'm actually kind of excited about that I'm starting to see more of that I want to see coming into B2B. A buddy of mine, you should absolutely talk to him. His name's Abed Durrani over at Hockey Stack. He shared the other day, Across the Spider-Verse, the, one of the songs from the album. He sent it over YouTube, though. And so clicked on the link instead of Spotify or something. And it's got a music video. And it's all these, like, this, animated graphic um, story that's all related to to the spider-man universe the rap is like well-known rappers lil wayne's on it and, and some others and they're like talking about things within that universe but the imagery within it it's all tied to the same brand so there's multiple songs on this album they all carry the same kind of like stylization and everything But in the images themselves, like you have these the lyrics, and they'll almost like do this like graffiti type script where you could almost take a screenshot of it. And it would be a perfect ad if you were to do that in B2B. So I'm just like, that's so cool. And that's the stuff that I wish that we could do in B2B more. But people are like, oh, you can't rap in B2B. It's not professional. Or we can't use graffiti and, and comics because it's not professional. I'm like, well, this is the stuff that people are like watching and engaging. So that's something that I don't know, marketing related. I'm a little bullish on it. I'll be curious to see how people do or don't adopt that moving forward. I literally have
3: that in my book. I put comic books as one of the things I'm like, people should be considering. I totally agree. It's like graphic novels, comic yeah. books, things like that. It's like three quadrant storytelling. Like we all love comics. Like we all love comedy. I'm like, yeah,
0: that's all the cool stuff. Yeah. Otherwise I just share random thoughts on LinkedIn. If you ever have questions, thoughts, want to talk about stuff, like shoot me a message.
3: Tim, you're amazing. We love your work we will keep following along on loxo and you and uh just thanks again for coming on the show
0: perfect appreciate you having me
3: well that's it for today i hope you got some good ideas for your b2b content thank you for listening to remarkable i'm ian Faison, ceo of caspian studios remarkable is created by the team at caspian studios b2b podcast as a service caspian also creates fiction series for b2b companies So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at CaspianStudios.com. Hollywood-style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.